0: Welcome to Houston Sports Talk with your host, Robert Land. Thanks for listening to the best Houston sports podcast. Robert, along with my co-host, Stephen Kerr. And I hope everybody had a chance to catch the last podcast with Camille Adams. I believe Stephen, she's our fourth Olympian in the show's history. We've had soccer players, Megan Klingenberg and Morgan Bryan. And of course, the goat, the gymnast, Simone Biles. So quite quite a list of Olympians over the years.
1: Yeah, you're getting your own uh, Olympic Hall of Fame going with the show. That was a great interview. I enjoyed listening to her. She she had some great insights on uh, not just her career, but uh, other Olympians,
0: um, Ryan Lochte and Michael Phelps, and I said, so, yeah, that was a great that was that was a great show. Yeah, I saw the NBC Sports Network is airing Team USA highlights from Rio and London all this week, so you can get some more of the Olympic stuff. You can probably find maybe some hopefully some Camille Adams and all that. But you've been. You've been watching all sorts of stuff, haven't you, with with all the options these days of old sports?
1: You know, the the boredom is starting to set in, even for me, Robert, and I'm a homebody by nature. I mean, I'm not what you'd call a go-go person or a social butterfly. But, you know, with it being Master's Week last week, I discovered that ESPN Plus had the highlights of every year from the Masters since 1960. And I thought, you know, it'd be cool to watch the 1960 Masters because Arnold Palmer won it that year. And Jack Nicholas was still an amateur. So, yeah, I got to check out the 1960 Masters. I also watched the one last year, of course, with Tiger Woods. And, yeah, I'll admit it, Robert, I cheated. Um, I, I listened to a replay on uh, Sports Talk 790 there in Houston of an Astros game last Saturday. So <laughs> I guess I really was bored to check out an Astros game. It was the one last year when uh, Josh Reddick robbed Hunter Pence of that three-run homer in the ninth inning when Roberto Asuna was pitching is when the Astros were playing against the Rangers. So, yeah, it was last weekend especially, I was kind of on a sports kick.
0: The most excited I got for anything old in the past week, sports-wise, was I woke up one morning, and I think it was Fox Sports Network or something, they were running a 1982 This Week in Baseball with Mel Allen.
1: Wow, that is going back because I – I used to listen to that in high school back in the late 70s. So, uh, yeah, I, that, that would have been kind of interesting to see, too.
0: Yeah, I loved This Week in Baseball with Mel Allen. Of course, one of the great theme songs also at the beginning of and end of every show. So, uh, yeah, I loved, loved uh, this, week. this Week in Baseball, but mostly I miss it with Mel Allen doing the narration. I mean, just he was the best. Absolutely. One of the best. And it just,
1: yeah, you, you can't picture a show like that. It, it's like baseball game of the week. I can't picture anybody else but
0: Joe Garagiola doing those games
1: on Saturdays on NBC.
0: Well, Stephen, uh, old trader Bill was at it again. The Texans get Rams wide out Brandon Cooks for their own second round pick this year, which basically means they've moved up a few picks in the second round while swapping out Hopkins for Cooks. Cooks has been a consistent 1000 yard receiver over the years. What do you think about this, Stephen? Well, it's interesting. I mean, he has the speed that uh, Will Fuller and Kenny Stills
1: possess, so that gives them another uh, aspect of speed. I guess the, the thing that the thing that kind of strikes me odd about him is while he's suffered at least, what, five concussions over the last few years, apparently he's only missed two games. So it, it's kind of strange how that turns out, but it it's still a, con- a bit of a concern, especially, you know, because I don't know medically speaking how this works, but it seems that, the, you know, the the more concussions you get, the more susceptible you are to them. So that's the biggest concern. The the good thing is at least he didn't trade that earlier second round pick. He traded the later one. So the, the Texans at least put themselves in a better position in the second round pick. They can use it on defense, which they desperately need. So, I don't know. You know, the jury's obviously out, and it may be a while before we can even play any games to see what kind of a trade it is. But, now, is he a replacement for DeAndre Hopkins? Well, no, I certainly don't think so.
0: Yeah, five concussions in six seasons, which I thought at first, oh, that's very C.J. Fedorowicz-like, but the difference from what I understand— is that his concussions haven't been as serious as CJ's, I guess, grade two concussions from what I understand, Stephen. Right, right. That, that is it. But it, but it's still a concern just
1: because, you know, more blows to the head. I think you're, you're even more susceptible to getting more, you know, that's one of the reasons Roger Staubach really, that's the main reason Roger Staubach left the Cowboys and retired. He was starting to get knocked around too much and suffered too many concussions. So it's definitely a concern. But when when he is on, just as you know, with David Johnson, I mean he's shown some flashes. So Bill O'Brien thinks that again, you know, taking these guys off the the dust pile who have either had injuries or who've been disappointing, he thinks he can get something out of them. I mean look at Carlos Hyde, made the Carlos Hyde trade. You know, it's like, well who's this guy? He's a journeyman. Well, he rushed for a thousand yards, so
0: I guess there's something to be said about that, but only time will tell. No, I mean, he, he, he was a consistent 1,000-yard receiver year in and year out until last year uh, with, with some injuries. But he, the problem is, again, it's the value. It's it's value. I I don't think any other team was going to give the Rams all that much because his contract is still pretty decent contract left because of the concussions also and because – this is a very deep wide receiver draft. So if you're a, an NFL team looking for a receiver, you know you're you're probably thinking, well, I can just find it find a guy in this draft. And you know, also you got to think about it, Stephen. Like, you know, you can't think in terms of just this year because we still don't know about if there's going to be a this year. You know, Bill Bill's operating like everything is tomorrow, and we as we understand right now and, and everything that's going on in the world. The tomorrow we don't know about yet. You know, it could be it could be, uh, it could be a, a, a very much a shortened season or it could be, you know, a deal where the, they, they have to, like, cancel it all together. I mean, I, you think it's coming back, but who knows? Yeah, the landscape is is certainly different.
1: Now, you mentioned contract. The one good thing is the Texans have him through 2023. So it's a good deal as far as the contract is concerned. But it does make you wonder You know, will the Texans still draft a wide receiver as deep as they are in the draft? And, Robert, let me ask you something. What do you think this does for Kiki QT? Do do you think the Texans can trade him either in the draft or after the draft or at some point? And if so, what would he be worth? I don't think he's got any value whatsoever. I mean, I I don't think he's worth a high draft pick. But, you know, this this certainly is I wouldn't I don't know if it's a death knell to him, but it's going to be a lot tougher, tougher for someone like him. To, to really make a splash, especially since he's had some chances already
0: yeah what's he done to actually give you any hope that he's something because he's had injuries and when he's got on the field it's been kind of hit and miss I mean maybe people just say oh Bill O'Brien was down on him but there, there are obvious concerns because the Texans have had injuries and still he hasn't played so and and you mentioned the three years that the contract is three years like Hopkins so the Texans might convince you that Cooks and Hopkins, it's pretty much an even swap, but, um, but I just don't think Hopkins could have pulled the typical holdout unless he was just going to forego a bunch of money permanently. And that's the thing. I mean, they thought, oh, he, Hopkins was going to hold out, so yeah, we got rid of him and we got a- another really great, great receiver, not as good as DeAndre Hopkins, but the problem is you, you just wonder sometimes if the Texans. Stephen even understood the new CBA penalties for holdouts.
1: Well, that's right. And the other thing to consider is you've got Will Fuller and Kenny Stills both coming up in contracts. You know, whether we play a season or not, that's going to still be in vogue. So uh, there's still questions at wide receiver, even with that. So you almost wonder, as deep as this draft is in wide receivers, should the Texans just go ahead and pick one? And then maybe hope that somebody like Kiki QT can, can suddenly figure it out and start making a contribution, because you just never know. I mean, Will Fuller, even if he does play, how healthy is he going to be? And his contract is up. Kenny Stills, you know, he had the, what was it, the hamstring last year that that kind of bothered him a bit. So there's still some question marks at wide receiver, even with this Brandon Cooks trade. So uh, the
0: Texans aren't out of the woods at this position by any means. And if anybody missed it, don't forget the shadow guy involved in this deal, which is Jack Easterby. He's still... I think sort of run in half of this Texans organization because he was somebody that knows Brandon cooks from his days with the Patriots. So just to keep that in the back of your head, uh, there was some other NFL news, kind of bigger NFL news might've gone under the radar with everything else that's going on, but it looks like they're getting rid of replay on pass interference. Uh, Steven, this was about as much of a shock as Laramie Tunsil having a false start. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Such a shame. I mean, Bill O'Brien had such a
1: an outstanding record in challenging uh, pass interference calls, uh, not as in most other coaches. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand what the NFL was trying to do, trying to straighten out this whole pass interference thing, but all they did was just muddy the waters some more. It, it, it obviously, they fell on their face with that. So not only am I not surprised that they've done away with this rule, I'm, I'm actually glad because
2: it, it, and until
1: they really figure out how to do that, that's not going to help anything. So yeah, maybe things will be a little bit smoother now that that rule is no longer in vogue, because it, it just made me wonder, even last season, toward the end of the season, coaches were still challenging this, despite the fact that <laughs> the, the the law of averages says
0: you're not going to win those challenges. Interesting that the Ravens and Chargers have proposed adding a booth umpire to each officiating crew, kind of like the Sky Judge concept that many coaches wanted last offseason. A Sky Judge would be a member of the officiating crew stationed in the press box at each game who could overturn obviously bad on-field calls. It's being considered by the owners, along with a proposal to add a senior technology advisor to each officiating crew. But, Stephen, it doesn't sound like the competition committee is thrilled with either idea from from what you're hearing.
1: Hey, I kind of like the name Sky Judge. I mean, and I kind of like the the old Sky Marshals that the the uh, airlines were wanting to use. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's not a bad idea. Um, I, I guess as long as they as long as they understand what their what their role is. I, my old thing, Robert, is that we just need to make the games a little more seamless. I, I don't mind instant replay, and I don't mind them taking the time to check as long as they get it right. But Sometimes I think maybe you can get a little too complicated, a little too sophisticated with it.
0: So I guess I I can see where the competition committee might have some reservations about it yeah one of the topics we got to talk about is the x f l and stephen they they looked like they were getting it more right than the n f l and it seemed like it was moving quicker. There was the controversy at the end of the course of the the rough i think was it the roughnecks last game yeah, it was the last game when the
1: officials ran off the field with two seconds left that that was the very last play you saw in the roughnecks history <laughs> imagine that <laughs> yeah. and, and and we you know we we do there is a silver lining to the x f l going under Robert is that the Houston Roughnecks are the only team in sports history who ever won all their games in their entire history. Okay. I know they only played five of them, but they won them all. And that's, I don't think that's ever happened that a team has, has not won every single game in its entire history. Not even the Oilers could pull that off.
0: So. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's frustrating. Cause you know, Houston has a team that they're excited about yeah. and they're playing well and everything's going good. <laughs> And it's boom, the whole thing shuts down. But, you know, you look, the league files for bankruptcy after suspending the operations and laying off most of their staff. But, you know, I'm kind of wondering if this was just a temporary financial move and maybe they can reorganize and come back next next year if the dominoes are, you know, they kind of fall into place. Well, possibly. I I don't know. And in, in all seriousness, you know. Right after
1: the first weekend of the XFL, my son and I were having a conversation. I even asked him, I said, so did you watch the XFL? And he said, no. He said, I just don't want to get all wrapped up in it in case it folds at the end of the year. Well, little did we know then that that's exactly what was going to happen. The league was going to, you know, we we had no idea the coronavirus was going to affect things the way it did. But I'm kind of like that too, Robert. I mean, I followed the Roughnecks and I enjoyed watching the games. I was glad that they were successful. But I just, there there was a part of me that just didn't want to get too wrapped up in it. For the very reason that it may only last for a season or two or three, it's just so hard for leagues like this to make it. But I'm hoping that what you're saying is true that maybe they they filed for bankruptcy to kind of protect. But apparently, they owe the University of Houston money for uh, cost at TDECU Stadium though, so it kind of makes you wonder if it was just a move to kind of preserve things and maybe they can restart next year in 2022 or if there were more things going
0: on behind the scenes than we realize. It's funny that how, you know, you look at some of these alternate franchises that Houston have had, has had over the years and they've been so much fun, you know, and 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 they've been fun at a time where we needed it in Houston history. I mean, if you go back to the Gamblers, it was, you know, 84, 83, 84 I guess, around the time when uh yeah. they got going and the Oilers were struggling, the Astros were struggling. Uh, the Rockets had started to get back back together with the drafts of Samson and Elijah Wan, but uh, that was you know go, going good, and it was a good time actually. And you had Jim Kelly, and you had the run and shoot. And if you go back to uh, the '70s, when you know Houston, it, it, it was a real sad state back in the in the early to mid '70s when the Rockets had just kind of come to Houston at that point. But the Oilers were terrible, and the Astros were not very good. And at that point, you had uh, Gordy Howe, and the arrows were were kind of fun. And for a brief time, you, you had that that Houston. I think it was just one year, but you had the old old Houston Texans. Yeah, but th- those Houston Texans were a pretty
1: pitiful lot. They had Don Truel as their quarterback. Yeah, and they didn't even last the season. They they moved to Shreveport. I think they played maybe four or five games in Houston before they just relocated. So that 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 was definitely kind of a sorry. Lot as far as that team is concerned.
0: So yeah, there you go. the The XFL is over with, and uh, yeah, it's it's a little frustrating. But you know, like I said, I just maybe it's a temporary thing. I'm hoping that's the case with a lot of businesses around the United States. But uh, it's kind of a wait and see situation. But uh, Stephen, we're going to have a special guest. We're going to bring in here in just a bit. It seems like we've had a a, a few, you know, major sports deaths of, of recent. Um, Al Kaline, you know, the great Al Kaline passed away yeah. in the last yeah. week. And, you know, he, Mr. Tiger, and I even saw Justin Verlander had a little bit of a tribute because he got he got to know uh, Al Kaline back when uh, he was playing with the Tigers.
1: Al Kaline was definitely one of the classiest baseball players ever. And when I was in radio, I worked, uh, one, one of my co-workers was from Detroit and she was a huge Al Kaline fan. And I think her husband, uh, I think he met Al Kaline and got a, I think it was a ball and a glove from him. Uh, in fact, she posted on Facebook recently. So, yeah, that was definitely a, a major loss. And, of course, you mentioned Ed Biles. You just lost him recently from uh, from a, a Houston standpoint.
0: Well, Stephen, speaking of the Ole Oilers Love You Blue defensive coordinator and head coach, I want to bring in my good friend Gerald Sanchez who got to know Coach Biles over the years. And, Gerald, t- tell the story a little bit about how you got to know coach Biles and, and got to work with him?
2: Well, I've known coach, uh, gosh, going back to the early two thousands when he used to, uh, broadcast he and his son, Mike Biles used to, to broadcast high school games together over at the Astrodome. That's where, you know, I first met him speaking of the Oilers <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, met him there in the press box and, uh, struck up a good friendship with him. And then, Years later, uh, I was hired by CMC Communications who does a lot of high school games down the the south, southern part of the uh, greater Houston area down in Galveston County and so forth. And um, he was the color guy for that. And I used to engineer their, their radio broadcasts and um, really struck up a really good friendship with him. We would just talk a lot about football and, and of course he was a sports fan of all the sports basketball and baseball and a lot of, a little bit about life you know he had he had a lot of wisdom of course he lived a lot of years and so he gave me some wisdom about life and business and so forth and uh, considered him a, a really good friend over the years
1: you know what i think is interesting gerald is uh, you know with when coaches these days at least to some degree try to hide behind you know a, a gruff or just you know they distance themselves from fans and the media Ed Myles just seemed like the total opposite to me. Every time I heard him talk or you know saw him on television, he seemed like just such a genuinely nice guy, or at least a, at least a, a genuine guy by nature.
2: He really was. Uh, he he was he, what you saw there is how he was in uh, off off camera, off microphone. He was just a, a, a wonderful person.
0: What do you remember story wise about anything that he would have said about coaching the Oilers or back back in those love you blue days?
2: In fact, the last time I actually saw Coach, I went down to his retirement home down in Missouri City to go visit him around Christmas time. We somehow would get the kinds of the conversation of the late '70s, early '80s, and you know, with that an urban cowboy, and just that era of being in Houston, Texas, and with the oil, and you know, the Astros were also winning at that time. And, you know, he said it was a perfect marriage. He said it, it was just the right time. You had the right group of characters, as he described them, talking about Bum and, you know, of course, the owner, Bud Adams. And he said that it was just the perfect marriage, the perfect time. And he said, this current football team doesn't have that, hasn't had that. It might happen for them. But what they had back then was the whole city was so crazy about Love You Blue. You couldn't go anywhere without... Columbia Blue.
1: Yeah, and I can attest to that, Gerald. I grew up in Houston in the 1970s when that was going on. And, you, you know, that that was very well said. It, it was so true. And I always thought it was a shame that Ed didn't have a better record when he got the head coaching job with the Oilers, because I always felt like he was a very smart football guy. And of course, being the defensive coordinator, he, he coordinated probably the best defense that wasn't the Steel Curtain. So. I always thought it was, you know, it was, it was a shame that he didn't get a better opportunity to be a head coach with the Oilers. You know, not all of it was his fault, but that's, you know, when you think about him as a head coach, it, that's kind of what you refer to as, you know, his subpar record in the 80s.
2: Yeah, and and I always remembered him more as the defensive coordinator. I I know he had that that stretch where he was the, the head coach, but uh, more of a forgettable time after after bum you know was uh was let go but i think that that the def- you know, he was such a, a brilliant football mind and you know we talk about tony romo and how he can see plays before it happens and calls plays before it happens ed would do that on the high school football broadcast he'd do that regularly or he would talk about that if we're you know at a, at a sports bar which we sometimes we went to after ball games or, or college football and he would he would call it out and say hey, this is about to happen. And sure enough, it did.
0: It's interesting because when you look at his career, he was with the Oilers as a head coach until 83, which puts puts him about 52 years old, but really didn't do much in coaching after that. Did you ask him, you know, why he didn't do much? I mean, that's not... Considered all that old in, in, in coaching circles, really.
2: Yeah, no, he 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 didn't. Uh, he he got out of it. He, he just he said he wanted a, a break from the coaching grind. He said, you know, you, you had you know, you had owners, you had fans, you had all kind of stress. And he just wanted a break from it. But then he got an opportunity there in the late 80s on Recam Rick, Sports to broadcast some Southwest Conference football games. That's how he got back onto it. And actually, now that I remember, when he got out of coaching, he was, believe it or not, he was one of the first broadcasters for college football on ESPN back in the day. Hmm. And he he went, he that's how he, he transitioned from coach to to broadcast. And he was there for several years. And then he went into, you know, of course, Raycom sports in the 80s. And he worked uh, high school football games. Also, you know, it was HSE and Prime Sports and then Fox Sports. And he had a very active broadcasting career after that.
0: He must have really fallen in love with Houston because if you look at it, you know, we think of him so much in terms of Houston. But he's somebody that was born in Redding, Ohio. He coached early in his career, high school in Ohio. He was a coach at Xavier, head coach from 62 to 68. So prior to most of his Houston days, I mean, he was assistant for the Saints uh, briefly in the late 60s and, and, and then the Jets in the early 70s. But I mean, he must have fallen in love with, with the city of Houston because, you know, he's, he's been here pretty much since 1974, even though he's got all these Ohio roots.
2: Yeah, he loved Houston. He really did. He loved Texas. He'd always talk about the <laughs> he'd, he'd love to talk about the women, how good they looked here. And uh, <laughs> he was he was quite the character. But he yeah he did love Houston and Houston loved him. He had a lot of good relationships. Another good story about Coach Biles is and he was very proud of this fact that he was the reason why Warren Moon came to Houston. If you remember Warren Moon was uh, quarterback for Edmonton the Canadian Football League CFL they were trying to get Warren to to come to Houston and he recruited him he went up and saw him and and wined and dined him and, and it, Warren was the reason why uh he came you know as Ed was the reason why Warren came to to Houston
0: I thought they had lured him away with Hugh Campbell as a coach up there at Edmonton
2: no, that was uh, it. Was it was Warren? I mean, excuse me. It was it was Ed.
0: One of the things I was reading about, and I don't know if you ever got in conversation with him about this, but apparently, when he was at Xavier, he was approached to be an assistant for Era Parsegian at Notre Dame, and 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 refused the job because he he liked being the head coach where he was at the time. I didn't hear that. I did not know that. So yeah, just a really interesting career, and and you, it was just hard. Gerald, I mean, you've talked to so many people. It's hard to find anybody that has anything bad to say about Ed Biles.
2: Oh, yeah. No, he was he was just as good and as genuine as Stephen said. He was just, as, just a, a wonderful person. He'd do just about anything, if you'd ask. Uh, he was just that type of a, of a man, a type of a, a friend. He, he genuinely cared about the game of football and his friends. And he will be sorely missed.
0: Another guy that we lost about four years ago was the ever-present Joe Prince, who sang the National Anthem and God Bless America at so many Astros games over the last 30 years. And Gerald, you really got to know Joe. He uh, served in the Air Force Special Services Division as an entertainer during World War II. He even spent some time at Iwo Jima. What was it like to get to know him?
2: He was a very good friend of mine, too. He had a, a wonderful voice. And I met him back in the, uh, the back in the Astrodome days. When he was up in the press box and then, of course, at Minute Maid Park, really got to know him. And uh, he was actually in a retirement living home just down the road from where I lived. And so there would be times where I would uh, go and visit him at his retirement home, a lot like I did with Coach Biles and uh, Joe was part of the choir over at St. Vincent de Paul. He was the, the the music minister over there and he had a wonderful singing voice. So years later, of course, his Catholic faith, he would go to St. Cecilia, which was close to where he was living in the retirement home, and that's close to where I live. And so we would meet up and go to Mass and sometimes I'd take him to Luby's after the games or after the Mass, I should say. And he was also a wonderful friend and he he was a huge Huge baseball guy. Loved the Astros.
0: Well, thanks a lot, Gerald, for doing this. I really appreciate you coming by. Absolutely. Just want to remind our listeners really quick, and if they are looking for something to take you away from your current troubles, listen to our Throwback Thursday podcast. Lots of fun conversations from our past seven years about Houston sports history. This past Thursday, Calvin Murphy had stories about new Hall of Famer Rudy T, Murph's old roommate. I'm thinking Calvin will have to bring out his best suit ever when he introduces Rudy at the Hall of Fame in August. And a little bonus in that throwback was a piece of my conversation with Rice Owls legend Wayne Graham as he celebrated his 84th birthday last week. We definitely would love feedback, questions, or topics from you guys. So message us through Twitter, Facebook, or email info at HoustonSportsTalk.net. Stay healthy, everybody, and stay safe. You're listening to Houston Sports Talk.